Good morning, Church on the Rock. <laughs> it's good to see you here. And man, I know, I man, I wish I could take this and just expand it to so many other people. Uh, okay, we're going to make it through, right? We're going to make it through. We're going to stay healthy. And, uh, but we are uh, also going to continue to worship. And those of you who are online, welcome, welcome, welcome. I hope you can sit back and relax and enjoy. Someday you're going to be here and we're going to bust the seams of this room one more time. And I love it. Basically, there's a lot of stuff coming up at Church on the Rock. We have not slowed down. This next weekend is the Alpha Holy Spirit weekend. So please be praying into that, that God would use that and uh, bring people to himself. Uh, next Sunday is the prayer summit, the prayer summit. And, uh, okay, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. I think we might have a special announcement at the prayer summit, all right, special announcement. But I, you know what, I'm not going to, I just hope we will. And the idea is the pr people who come to prayer are the people who are going to hear it first. Like just, I'm just putting that out there, okay. If you don't come to prayer, you got to hear it on the grapevine, all right. But uh, if, you, uh, if you come to prayer, you will hear it first, all right. So uh, let's pray and let's jump into God's word. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that's alive and active. And we're going to be listening to some hard truths from you again. But God, they're, they're life-giving truths. They're good truths. And so uh, I, I can't do this, God. So uh, fill me with your Holy Spirit. So you would teach through me, Holy Spirit. You're in every home. You're in our lives. So come and stir up what we're learning. And uh, come and, and help us to learn from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, every so often I get an opportunity to talk to uh, some young people who are on the way to God. And they're just trying to figure it all out. And they always have good pushback. They have great questions. I love it. One of the questions is, well, if, if, if God really wanted, you know, us to believe in him, why wouldn't he just show up and say, bah, you know, bazinga, I'm here, right? And then we go, oh, you're real. And we'd worship. They say, why didn't God just show up? On earth. <laughs> you know right, the, the right answer, right, Christians? And well, I tell them, he did. <laughs> he did. He did show up on earth. And then often they'll say, well, why doesn't he show up to me? <laughs> As if God is an errand boy for everybody else has to make personal appearances. The idea is God did show up on earth. And what he does, he tells us that again and again and again and again. And he tells that to us in his I am statements. I am has, has this sort of beautiful history in the Old Testament where uh, Moses uh, listens to God from the, the burning bush. And he, Moses says, so who, you know, what's your name? And God says, I am because there is no other thing that can describe him. He is indescribable. He is huge. He is massive. He is large and in charge. The only thing that can describe is, is him, himself. He is the great I am. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and says, I am, you can almost hear the thunder rumble. I am, you know, in the background kind of thing. As he describes who he is, but he's also telling people he's God. First week we looked at, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus comes and says, I am the resurrection. If you're connected to me, you are resurrected. Not just in the future, not just for heaven, but now. I come alive now. My spirit all of a sudden gets breathed into, and I now have spiritual life because I'm connected to the resurrection and the life. And that is amazing. So we talked about how the resurrected life starts now. Last week, week two, we listened, talked about I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am the good 
shepherd. And uh, we talked about just one of the many things shepherds do. They call out to their sheep, and they, they go, and they follow. They follow the shepherd. But they also rescue the sheep. And I just saw this on Instagram this morning, and I have to share it. Uh, it both tells you the, the, the beauty of, of, of God the rescuer and what we are like at the same time. I'm not sure if we can roll that clip now or not. I am the good shepherd. I got you. Yeah, there's no audio to this. And awesome. Yeah, the good shepherd. Yeah. <laughs> and that's who we are. <laughs> Does anybody feel like that that like describes their life, right? There's a thank you for rescuing me. You're awesome, God. Bing. <laughs> I'm in the pit again. I'm in the pit again. So we are talking about uh, hello, as Jesus says, I am the way the truth and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. We've talked about this before, but I can't, I can't give up an opportunity to talk about because this is so key, so central to everything that we believe about Jesus. And so it's actually going to tackle a problem. It's a problem that people have who are on the way to God. And if you're if you've tuned in because somebody has shared the service, you can still do that now. Anyway, so if you you have shared the service and you're tuned into this and you're thinking, okay, I'm not sure about this Christian stuff, here is a problem that a lot of people have. It's kind of like the uh, religious elephant in the room, as, as it were, as, you know, you, you listen to, uh, to Christians talk, but there's a sort of religious elephant in the room, and here's the problem. What about other religions, right? What about other religions? They are sincere. They are sincere. They maybe grew up in their religion, Dave, are you saying when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, they're, they're wrong? In, in fact, we know that pretty much all religions think the other ones are wrong. Okay, just putting that out there. It's just not a Christian thing. It's just uh, a religious thing. In fact, those who are uh, enlightened thinkers, worldly wise, those who, uh, <laughs> those who, who think so deeply, they might, we might even call them woke, they're they say this is a problem with religion. It's religion's problem. And as one of these speakers said, uh, if you say our religion is superior to someone else, guess what you are, Christians? You are spiritual racists. Ouch. Right? No one wants to be a racist, and we should not be. Are we that way? Are we, are we like saying, I'm better than anyone else? I know, and, and you don't know. Is this really what it is? And I know that goes in the back of some young Christians' minds. I know that goes in the, in the forefront of people on the way. This statement helps us at least bring that up to the surface. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. As you know, I, like, I, I love education. I went to school way too long, uh, way too long. I, uh, I went to school 17 years after I graduated from university. That's way too long, all right? Okay, I just sort of got really tired of it after a while. Why are you going to go for it? No, I'm not going to go for anything else. <laughs> but I, I remember they all often use this illustration, uh, often use this illustration of blind men or, or people with uh, blindfolds going and touching an elephant. 
uh, and uh, one person says, oh, you know, they're feeling the trunk, and they said, oh, it, it, this is like a big pipe. Somebody feels uh, the leg and said, no, this is a pillar. Somebody feels the side. It's a wall. Somebody feels the tail, you know, and, or the tusk. It's, it's a knife. And basically, everybody who's blindfolded is feeling the same thing. And this is an illustration used often in universities to say, listen, we're all just touching a part of God. And so different religions are, are, are sort of, I think I have the right way, and it's the leg, but it's just the leg, and they're just all sort of telling us parts of the same God. In fact, if we have respect for all ways, who knows, they might be true. They might actually contain little bits of truth. Can I just say, this is Canada's religion. This is Canada's religion. You didn't know it. If, even if you've never gone to church in your life, you've never gone to a mosque, you've never gone to a Hindu temple, you are tremendously religious because you've been steeped in Sunday school of Canada's religion every single day of your life. Just, it just keeps on coming in. There's no way that we can, we can counteract that with one Sunday a week. But you have been, you have just taken on Canada's religion, where we have respect for all ways, because who knows, that way might be true, that religious way might be true, that religious way might be true, and if I think I have more truth than anyone else, I am a spiritual racist. It's interesting, the people that study uh, North American religion, there's a person called uh, Christian Smith from Oxford University, he wrote a huge tome on what cultural religion is in North America. You know what he described it as? It's moralistic therapeutic deism. And I know I've, I've used that before, and, and you can sound really smart. It's from Oxford, so it should be smart. Okay, so basically North American culture is moralistic therapeutic deism. And, and let me to explain what that is. First of all, it's deistic. That means that Generally in our culture, yeah, there might be a God. There really might be a God. I, I think uh, about 70% of Canadians believe that there's some kind of God, greater, greater, greater power. But the thing is, this God doesn't really get involved and has very little expectations on you. He sort of spun the world and sort of went off and played cards. Or he's, maybe he's making other worlds. He's doing something else. He's doing cross-stitch. Whatever he's doing, he's spun the world, and he's not really super involved. And guess what? He doesn't expect much from you. That is deism. And that God, this God, wants everybody to be nice and fair to each other. As taught in the Bible and other world religions. And basically, good people go to heaven, along with good dogs. Okay, all dogs go to heaven, right? So all good people go to heaven. And this is what we're taught all the time, just be good and be nice to each other. Because God doesn't have a lot of expectations on us, even if there is a God. And then the central goal to life is just to be happy. The central goal to your life is you need to be happy and fulfilled, and that's the therapeutic part. So moralistic, just be nice, okay? Can, can we just all be nice and get along? Therapeutic, it's really about us feeling good. Can we just all sort of feel good, right? Deism, there might be a God, but he's like a grandfather. He kind of has very little expectations. He's just out there, and he is, yeah, he's good with everything. That is what... Also, many Christians believe. Many Christians have bought into the cultural religion. Why? Because we get it in Sunday school of culture every day. But here's my question. What if moralistic therapeutic deism is wrong? What if it's just wrong? What if the thing that we've been taught all the time is just simply wrong? What if saying God is nice and expects very little of us is actually wrong? 
But you say, Dave, Dave, I feel it. What happens if your feelings are wrong? We don't think about that part. But sometimes it is. Like I, if, if I, you know, if I'm late to an appointment and I'm driving 80K through a school zone, like I'm important, I need to get to that, that, that appointment. And, and, and a police officer stops me. And he or she says, listen, you know, okay, here's your ticket. I said, hold on, hold on, I don't deserve that. I felt like that was the right thing to do because I'm late. And he said, we don't care what you feel. It is wrong to do this. What happens if sometimes we get things wrong? Does God need to make concessions to us because of our sincerity? That's the question, isn't it? Let's say I made up a religion. I'm going to start a new religion. Uh, don't all leave now. Okay, this is not heresy. All right. I'm, we're going to worship cucumbers. We are going to worship cucumbers. I had something worked deeply in me. I felt a great feeling when I watched VeggieTales. And Larry didn't have a, a hairbrush. And I felt he needed a hairbrush. And so I said, listen, we need to dedicate all our hairbrushes to Larry. In fact, let's put up Larry on a, on a pedestal and let's worship him. Let's say, uh, let's say we all decide, okay, we're going to worship cucumbers. All right? Okay. And so we get to heaven. And we say to God, God, listen, I was sincere about worshiping cucumbers. What do you think he's going to say? He's going to say, I sent my only son to die for you. That's the way. That's the truth. That's the life. It's not about us being kind to each other. We need to do that. We need to be kind <coughs> and accepting and loving to everybody. We're Christians. That's what we're supposed to do. We're, we're, Christians should be the most loving people in the world, but it doesn't mean that we need to say that everyone else is right. And so the I am statement is this. Let's read it in its context, John chapter 14. John chapter 14. This is the night that Jesus was betrayed. He was in the upper room. He had just washed his disciples' feet. And just in the midst of this, Judas goes and looks at him, and, and Jesus says, go, go and do what you need to do. Judas is out of the, out of the room now. And now Jesus is, is, has washed the feet, and he sits his disciples down, and he's going to give them some instructions. He starts off in John 14. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. You can almost feel the tension in the air, and people say, something's going down, something's going down. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. And, and he basically said, listen, in my father's house there's many rooms or many mansions. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And they're all going, oh, don't go, don't go. I don't like that part. Don't go. And he said, no, no, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. And then he wanted them to be able to be in those mansions. And so this is what he says, uh, John chapter 14, verse 6 and 9. And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. For from now on... You do know him, and you've seen him. <laughs> and Philip said, uh, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, Philip in the back. Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Can, can we just see God? Can you just like, can he make a personal appearance? Boom. You know, can he just show us the Father, right? That would be really cool. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? 
even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen God. Again, uh, like Jesus' I am statement is all about him being God, the only God. I, you know, and, 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 and that's, that's tough to hear, but that's what we believe as Christians. That is what we've staked our lives on. So asking the question about other religions, it's true. You know, it's true if Jesus was just a good moral teacher, if, if he was just a really good moral teacher, that's right. He might have got the leg right, but he for forgot the tusk. You know, if, if Jesus was a prophet, maybe he heard poorly and he got through the reception badly. But if, God, if Jesus is God Almighty on earth, we need to listen. We need to listen and press in and say, okay, okay, we need to pay attention to this. And so, Jesus, what does it mean that you're the way, the truth, and the life? First of all, he's the way. In the Old Testament, there, there were ways to come to God, very meaningful ways. It was, uh, there's a day called Yom Kippur, the, the Day of Atonement. And once a year, what happens is basically the sins are covered over for the nation one day a year. And it's a, it's a huge event where the high priest, not just any, the high priest comes in. And guess what? He gets sprinkled with, uh, with blood. He basically, it's just a, it's, it's a weird, weird thing, but it's just a lot of blood. He's got to sacrifice a bull for his own sins. He said, I can't even come in even though I'm, I'm, I'm a priest. I can't go in there because I'm not allowed to, because I am not holy. So a, a bull loses his life just for his personal sin. And then they, want, they take two goats. Right? They, they kill another goat. And, and they, they, they say, listen, every sin needs to be punished. And so that goat gets killed. And, and there's another goat that just gets sent out in the wilderness. said, all sins always need to be removed. They just need to be removed. And so guess what? We can't stand before God unless we're holy. And guess what? That means our sins need to be punished or, or paid for, and they also need to be removed. That was the way to God. That was the way. And along comes Jesus. He says, no more. No more. No more sacrifices. No more. But the principle is the same. He says, I am the once and for all payment for everything, not year by year, I'm going to pay for everything you've ever done. <laughs> I want you to feel that. I'm going to pay for everything you've ever done and everything you will do. Not only that, I'm going to be the remover. I'm going to remove it. I'm going to remove you feeling guilty. You know that gut feel in the middle of the night? Why did I do that? If you could erase one day in your life, you know what that day is, right? Jesus says, I'm going to not only pay for that, I'm going to remove it. It's just gone. And now with that open, now with that open, Jesus is the way. You see, he's not just even preparing a way. He is the way. It's the only way to God is through Jesus. Because only one person on the planet in the history of the world has ever been able to pay. Hebrews 7, 27, 7, unlike other high priests, he does not offer sacrifices day after day, first his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all, and he, was, and he offered himself. That was Jesus. When Jesus said, it is finished, he sat down the right hand of God, and it was finished forever, forever, forever. No more sacrifices because, guys, he paid for my mess. And I have a lot of mess. 
He not only paid for my mess, guess what? He removed it. So I no longer even need to, to carry the guilt of that. <coughs> it's gone. And so, and so we come to God through the way, which is Jesus. <coughs> you see, there's a gap. All religions recognize there's a gap. All religions do of how we are and what we should be. That's, that's one thing all religions get right. There's a gap. We, we're not perfect, and guess what? We should be, and there's some, we got to do something about that, uh, that, that, that thing in the middle. All religions talk about being good and nice and kind, except for one, only one, and that's Jesus. He says, you can't be good and nice and kind enough. It just doesn't work. <laughs> no matter how good and nice and kind you are, it does you no good. In fact, in Matthew 5, verse 20, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. If you want to get into the kingdom of God through niceness, through being good, you've got to be more, <laughs> you have to be better than any other religious person possible. And then uh, we should all just throw up our hands and say, I, I'm out, I'm out, I, I'm out. I can't, I can't be that good. James 2.10, forever, whoever keeps the whole law, if you lived a perfect life and yet stumbles in one point, he becomes guilty of all because now you're a lawbreaker. And that something has to happen. Something has to happen. Niceness does not remove an offense from the creator. If I crash my, my truck into you, let's just say that. That's, that's fun, isn't it? Got a little trailer hitch at the back. It would make good damage. So, you know, just back it right into your radiator. Poof, it, it would be the steam. It would be beautiful. And then, then uh, I rolled around and said, oh, man, man, I'm so sorry for that. I'm going to fix that. I'm going to fix that. Hey, there's an there's a elderly woman walking across the street. I'm going to help her, all right? Oh, there you go. Okay? Because my niceness paid for my offense, right? It doesn't work that way. You got to pay for the mess you made. <laughs> And I've had to pay for the mess I've made. And guess what? Jesus goes and takes out the wallet and shells it out for me. And he says, Dave, you can't. You're poor. You have nothing. But I will pay for the mess that you made. See, good, good is good. It is good. We need to be good. But it doesn't erase bad. And so when we look at Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, there is, there is nowhere else to look. There is nowhere else to look for the way to God. There is nowhere else to look for the way to God. Only one person in history said that we can't pay for it, and then he paid for it. Jesus is the way. He, Jesus is the truth. Jesus didn't discover truth. He didn't have feelings about the truth. He says, I am the truth. He is, uh, everything about him is true. The Bible talks a lot about God, and, and, and the Bible says God is love, and it's true. God is love. And so when you look at Jesus, he, he comes beside the woman caught in adultery, and he goes and saves her and stops stops all the condemnation. Why? Because Jesus is love, and guess what? God is love, and, and that's God on the planet. That's God on the planet, because God is love, so Jesus was love. You know what? God is faithful. God is faithful. No matter how much we mess up, God just comes back, and he's faithful and faithful again and again, and so after his resurrection, Jesus shows up to his disciples, and they messed him up. They all took off and ran away, and he doesn't, you know, he, he comes back, and he accepts them back. Why? Because he's faithful even in the midst of their denying him. 
Jesus is also holy. And goes and takes a whip made, made of cords. And, and he turns over the table in the temple. And he whips the people out of there. Why? Because holiness. So, so you see all the picture, all the, this beautiful gem of what God is like in the life of Jesus. All right, so let's go back to our elephant. All right? Let's go back to our elephant. We're saying that all of God is found in Jesus. What do other religions say? What do other religions say? I, I had this great project I've told you about many times where uh, Car and I got to go and film different houses of faith. It, it's pretty amazing. Uh, the Muslims said, yes, we believe in one God and he has no son. <laughs> he made that very clear. We have visiting Sikhs and Hindus said that they have many gods or many de demigods. Uh, one, of, one, of the <laughs> one of the people at the at the uh, Hindu temple said, yes, we have 330 million gods or demigods. Wow. Okay. The, the, the temple at, uh, in Toronto is dedicated to the god for the UN forces. The Mormons and the Hare Krishnas said, actually, you can become a god. The Buddha says there is no god. There is only self. So let's go back to the illustration. So there's either one childless elephant or a herd of 330 million elephants or you can become an elephant, or elephants are only an illusion. It's not all, we can't all be the same. All religions are basically not the same. There's a flaw in the elephant illustrations. Any, every illustration usually has assumptions. You give an illustration, it carries an assumption with it. Here's the assumption of the elephant illustration. The animal does not communicate. <laughs> it just sits there. It doesn't actually communicate to anybody. It can't. It's just because it's an elephant, all right? It just it doesn't say anything. The assumption is that in this illustration that God does not talk, will never communicate. It just sits there. It just sits there dumbly as people try and find it. But we believe, no, God was active. God wasn't this deist God. God was active, and he communicated, and he trumpeted to everyone, take off your blindfolds. I am here. I am God. I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to you. Jesus, Jesus says, tear off your blindfolds, people, because I am the truth. If you want to know what true is, come to me. And I go, I, yeah, yeah, I, I have that, that people go, ah, oh, man, but do I just have to have blind faith? If just, I have to leap into blind faith just to be able to say, okay, I'm just going to believe your God is, is God. Man, we could talk about this for several series. But there are reasons to believe. In fact, I even wrote a little book about it, Reasons to Believe. And uh, if you want that, you can uh, pick that up online. But it's, it's, a real, it's a real small little book. The idea is there are reasons to believe. Let me give you a few of them real quick. We, we only got a few minutes here. First of all, it's the uniqueness of Jesus. His, his claim stands unique out of everyone else. Every other religion say, be good, be good, be good. Jesus says, you can't be good. You have to have faith only in me. So he stands out as unique. People talk about his claims, his claims of being, listen, if he really said he was God, there's only three options. C.S. Lewis talks about this. I don't know many of us know this. So the idea is either he was God or he was not right in the head. He, I'm God, I'm God. You know, that's, that's the only thing that you can think about. Or he said, I'm God, and he's going to, you know, make, you know, come follow me. And he's just evil trying to get more followers. He's a liar, lunatic, or Lord. That, that's what Lewis called it. One of those three. But the thing is, all those three don't make sense. He, he died, this, this homeless, penniless person. He certainly was not into power. 
and he said some of the most wise things that ever been said on this planet. So he certainly is not unstable. It just makes sense that perhaps what he said was actually true. And then his death and resurrection. There's, what, what do you do with that? It's awesome. He's the only guy that actually died and rose again. And how do I know that? Because people who weren't even writing in the Bible were writing about it. Josephus, a Jewish historian. Pliny the Younger and Tatticus, Roman historians, talked about how Jesus of Nazareth was killed on a cross. And then three days later, no one saw his body. It was gone. It was just gone. It is just history. And so what do you do with that? Some people, well, maybe the disciples stole the body, but they all went to their death claiming they saw him, claiming they touched him. They eagerly went to their death knowing, knowing that they could easily deny that fact. And yet they went to their death saying he rose again. The spread of Christianity, it was amazing. It wasn't through war, no warlord conquering areas. Jesus was a homeless man who never traveled over 200 years, uh, 200 miles from the place of his birth. He no, never wrote a book, never held a public office, was not a general, didn't fought, fight in any army. He died a penniless, penniless criminal. He should be a footnote in the history of the planet. But what happens? Within 20 years, it's all the way to Rome. That's 1,500 miles away, and there's communities of believers, and there's thousands of believers. Why? Was it because of his good teaching, love one another? Well, that's awesome. He did say that, and that's what he made, created communities of love. But that's not, that's not the thing that spread the good news. It, read the book of Acts. The thing that spread the good news was, he's alive. I saw him. I touched him. He's alive. And that changed everything. Yes, I believe fully that he is the truth because he died and rose again. And I, I bet my life on that one. I bet my life on that one. I don't need to look anywhere else for the truth. I don't need to know there is nowhere else to look for the truth. There is nowhere else to look for the way to God. There is nowhere else to look for the truth. Lastly, the life. And life is, is sort of like how do we have direction for life? How do we solve problems for life? No farther to look than Jesus himself. We can go to Indigo and look at the, the self-help section. And if somebody got it right, it would, be, it would be amazing. You just have to read a self-help book and everybody would be helped. It doesn't work that way. I, one of these, the, the verses I love uh, memorizing, and it's just a new one for me. Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do you notice the three things? He's going to give you direction in life. He's going to say, here's what pleases me. And then he's going to actually give you some motivation to do that. Listen, I'm, I, I know it's hard to do the right thing, so I'm going to help you with that motivation. And then to keep on going, I'm going to give you power to do that. That's life, isn't it? That to me is life. I, I remember I had a mini bike. Mini bikes are cool. They're like, the tires are about this big. <laughs> and it's like a, uh, a, a, what do you call it, a lawnmower engine on it. Yeah, three and a half horsepower Tecumseh. And I just, I love it. I remember my dad taking me out there, and, and we'd go and look at this field, and there, there's bike trails off and then into the woods. And I'd go, oh, that's so cool. So all of a sudden, I know where I want to go. I have my direction. And then you got it, it's, it's, you know, boom, 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 boom. And then you have to adjust the, you know, the, you know, the, the choke on the, and you know what? And finally, I started up, and guess what? 
That's just like having the motivation. Okay, God, give me the motivation. Help me start to go in the right direction. I know where I want to go. Start me up, God. And then God fills up my gas tank, and, woo, and we're off on the adventure. And that's a Christian life. <laughs> All wrapped up in a mini bike. <laughs> Some of us are directionless. Some of us have no motivation, no power to endure. They're all found in Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm going to ask our worship team to come on up. Jesus, there's nowhere else to look. There's nowhere else to look for the way to God. If you want to find God and you're at home, Jesus. What does that mean? Just call out to him. Ask him to forgive your sin and come into your life and make you new. Just that. That's it. Just make it personal. There's nowhere else to look for the way. There is nowhere else to look for the truth. That's why we dig into the word, and that's why we, we, we love the word. I, I loved our, our creative ways to read the Bible. That was, that was fun. Just did that seminary. And we talked about digging into the Bible, and, yeah, and uh, I do a coloring thing, and Helen showed me which way to color instead of my way, and that was helpful. Um, but just get into, get into God's word. Just get into God's word. And guess what? You'll have the direction, the motivation, the power. There is nowhere else to look for the life. There's nowhere else to look. Hello, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Heavenly Father, you are utterly amazing. You are so so good to show up on planet Earth. Oh, God, I love you. We don't have to guess which way we can look at you. You have fully communicated. We do not have blindfolds on searching for you. You have run after us. So, God, help us to embrace you as our way, our only way to you. Help us to embrace you as the truth, the only place we look for truth. Help us to embrace you as how to live. And God, we just look forward to that adventure starting again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.